and welcome to the first Harbottle Hub podcast, which is also the first of our digital download series. I'm Lizzie Williams, I'm a senior associate in the Dispute Resolution Group at Harbottle and Lewis. In this podcast series, we will be discussing topical issues in the digital and tech world and giving you our expert steer on the legal issues they give rise to. Each fortnight during October and November, we will interview some of our colleagues on a tricky tech topic. And today's guests are Amy Bradbury, a senior associate, and Hugo Tyrrell, an associate, both of whom are in our media and information group. I'll be picking their brains today on the Online Harms Bill. Before we get stuck in, I'll highlight a little of the journey that the Online Harms Bill has already been on. There was an online safety strategy green paper in 2017, and in 2019 there was an online harms white paper and a consultation on the proposals, and later in 2020 the government published its response to the consultation. After that, in May this year, a draft online safety bill was included in the Queen's speech and published and then a joint committee was established to consider the draft legislation. The deadline for responses to the committee's inquiry was in September 2021 and the committee intends to report in December. So Amy, Hugo, thanks for joining us. To kick things off, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about the genesis of the bill and the move to protect against online harms. Thanks, Lizzie. Obviously, in the last 20 to 30 years, the internet has absolutely and completely changed the way we live. I think it's probably one of the most significant innovations of the modern world, and it's obviously brought with it many benefits. However, the digital revolution and particularly the pace at which it's happened has left us with new challenges. As is sort of typical with significant societal or technological developments, it takes a little while for the legal landscape to catch up. And I think probably some people have referred to the internet and social media in particular as like the wild west where anything goes. It would probably be wrong to classify it as lawless as conduct on the internet is still subject to the same laws that for want of a better word, we are subjected to in real life. So, for example, it's well established that harassment, for example, can be committed by sending abusive messages online. However, the laws that are in place were not necessarily created with the digital world in mind. They're pretty disparate and there's no overarching legal framework or regulation for the internet or internet platforms. So if you couple that situation with the acknowledgement in recent years that some online content is having a harmful effect, on children and on adults and that the internet is being used in a damaging way you can see how we've reached where we are at the moment in terms of the harmful things that have occurred it's obviously become widely recognized that the internet's been used as a tool for recruiting and terrorism extremism and there's also been some high profile things like teenage suicides which have been linked at least in part to contact on social media i'm sure there's a lot more examples that we could refer to in terms of harm that people have happened upon there's been concerns about various things such as children having access to pornography or other adult material, material promoting self-harm, abuse and harassment and and particularly fake news or other misleading information. In that context there's been a concern that some of the main internet platforms, the big social media platforms, are not doing enough to stop that material appearing or that the process for getting it removed is slow. If we go back to taking the example of harassment, obviously we've said the laws of harassment apply on the internet but if you wanted to bring a claim for harassment for example if you were receiving consistent abusive messages over Facebook you would have to bring that claim against the individual that was sending those messages so whilst there is a legal route it's not really something that you could take against the social media platform in question and whilst the platform is likely to have its own terms and conditions in relation to that conduct and they sometimes can be hard to engage with so as a result the idea that social media and other internet platforms should be seen as responsible for the 
online space that they have created in the same way that, for example, property owners are in the physical world. That started to develop traction back in 2018 amongst certain academics and interested groups. And they were instrumental in putting forward some initial proposals about how to tackle online harm. That concept of thinking about responsibility on an internet space where there may be legal responsibility in the legal world is is quite important in understanding the basis of the bill and what we are now looking at. So the foundations of the new regulation are that there should be a duty of care on certain internet platforms and that they should have to prevent harm being caused. And I think broadly speaking, it's recognised that that's probably the right way to go. But exactly how it's all going to work in practice is is the difficult task. And obviously, we're going to discuss how the bill operates and, and whether it's fulfilling those aims in this episode of the podcast. I would probably add to that as well. Lots of the laws that govern behaviour on the internet currently are criminal in nature, things like harassment, child abuse, communications offences, terrorism. I think pursuing those offences online is very resource intensive for the state. And there's clearly some desire to pass some of that burden of monitoring and removing material to the websites themselves. And I think in addition to that, It's a fact that the majority of the major platforms that people deal with day to day, your Twitters, your Facebooks, they're all based in the USA. And so broadly, they're governed and run in accordance with laws that might not necessarily mirror our own attitudes towards freedom of speech and expression and criminality. So there's been a sense, I think, that the British government and the state here has less ability to influence how those platforms conform with the law. Thank you both, that's really helpful. And in terms of timing, Hugo, could I ask you when you anticipate that the bill will actually come into force? Because obviously the bill has had quite a long history already and I wondered if you had a sense of when it might all come to fruition. Well, we don't really. As you said, it's currently in the Joint Parliamentary Committee. They will report on or by the 10th of December. And I expect, given that the criticisms that the bill has faced to date, they will probably make a number of recommendations for changes, some of which might be quite significant. Once that report's out, technically the bill will advance through the normal stages of legislation. It will have more readings in the Commons and the Lords. But it's pretty unclear still what the timeline is going to be, given that we do expect changes to either be sought or to be encouraged by the committee. In addition to that, obviously, there's a heavy legislative burden at the moment. The government's got a lot on its plate dealing with coronavirus recovery and mechanisms. So we're not even sure where this lies in the priorities of the current session. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think what we can say is that it's probably going to be a relatively contested piece of legislation in terms of the specifics. And I don't think it's probably going to have a smooth or easy transition through the process. So it is quite hard at the moment to put any fixed timescale on it, given that quite a lot is still probably going to have to happen. That completely makes sense. And we'll come on to some of the issues with the bill which might hinder its progress or or cause delay. Drilling down a little bit into what the bill covers, how it works, at least as it's currently drafted. Hugo, could you give us an overview of that as a starting point? Yeah, well, let me read you the summary of the bill, which runs as follows. The draft bill would impose duties of care on providers of online content sharing platforms and search services. Ofcom would enforce compliance and its powers would include being able to fine companies up to £18 million or 10% of annual global turnover, whichever is higher, and have the power to block access to sites. 
So we can see broadly, it's going to apply to platforms with user-generated content, as it's known. We all understand that to be social media platforms, internet forums, internet messaging service, and search engines are specifically called out in the bill as well. Platforms are generally going to be separated into two categories of regulation under this bill, and they're going to have different responsibilities. All the platforms, unless they're excluded, and there are quite a number of exclusions, must take effective steps to remove and limit the spread of illegal content, which you sort of might think is a given currently, but the aim of the bill is to encourage much greater compliance and monitoring and awareness of that kind of content. So we're talking here about high-level things like child abuse material, terrorist material, self-harm material potentially as well, just the kind of content that I think everybody would agree should not be on the internet for any length of time at all. Ofcom, they're going to be the body responsible for ensuring compliance with the bill. They're going to designate the biggest platforms as Category 1. Category 1 platforms are going to have an additional burden or duty of care, and they will have to address content that is legal, but where they have, and here's the wording of the bill, reasonable grounds to believe that the nature of the content is such that there is a material risk of the content having, or indirectly having, a significant adverse physical or psychological impact on a child or adult of ordinary sensibilities. I mean, that's a bit wordy, and some of the criticism of the bill so far has been over the wording of that and how it's going to be understood and interpreted. Obviously, when you use phrases like ordinary sensibilities, what you're trying to do is avoid extremes of interpretation and extremes of damage. So they're aiming for the duty of care to address what the majority, the reasonable person might think or feel or be impacted by, and not what a small sector of society on an extreme might be offended by. It's likely that the major platforms that are going to be category one and face this additional burden are going to be your Facebooks, TikToks, Instagram, Twitters, the services that millions of people use every day. Ofcom's enforcement of the legislation may be funded by a levy on those companies as well. But everybody else is, in general, unless excluded, going to be category two and more focused on removing illegal content faster and more responsibly. Ofcom really are going to be acting in a supervisory role for this legislation rather than as an arbiter of individual complaints. So we don't think it's likely they're going to be issuing rulings every week on complaints about this post or that post. Ofcom are going to publish various codes of practice on various topics with which companies should comply. I think a lot of how the legislation will play out in practice is going to depend on what those codes of conduct are, and we don't have any information on that at present. It's also an interesting feature of the bill that at present it could be read as having extraterritorial effect and probably is intended to be read that way, because as we've said, the majority of these platforms and the internet in general is really based in countries other than the United Kingdom. So it will apply to registered services with links to the UK, but links to the UK is defined very broadly. So that's either a significant number of users in the UK, targeted towards UK users, or being capable of being used by individuals in the UK and having content on it that gives rise to a material risk of significant harm to individuals in the UK. So I think really that would probably catch most platforms worldwide. Just to add to that, I think from the descriptions that Hugo has given, it's pretty clear that the bill proceeds on the basis that online intermediaries will be the digital 
caretakers of the world. It's a very intermediary centered approach. Responsibility is, is on the platforms that fall within the ambit of the bill. Thank you. I'd now like to move on to the topic of misinformation and disinformation causing harm. It's topical in the sense of misinformation and disinformation in relation to vaccinations and the pandemic at the moment. And I wondered, Amy, if the online harms bill deals with that at all. If we just go back momentarily to the December 2020 government response to the white paper consultation, it confirmed that the bill would cover dangerous misinformation. Uh, the government said at that point that disinformation and misinformation that could cause significant harm to an individual would be within the scope of the duty of care. So that means when we're talking about harm under the bill that misinformation is, is firmly in mind and with reference to the bill as drafted it means that misinformation needs to be tackled by all companies if it could constitute harmful content to children and misinformation would also fall within the relevant category of so-called legal harm which category one companies need to deal with if it meets the relevant threshold, i.e., as Hugo said, if it may cause significant physical or psychological harm to adults. Beyond that, however, there are no specific measures in the bill where there are specific duties or offences even when it comes to misinformation. So we don't have a particular clause that we can go to which is headed up misinformation and, and see exactly what it what it says. It's very much included in, in the overall definitions in relation to, to harm. The December 2020 government response also said that some types of disinformation and misinformation were likely to be proposed in secondary legislation as categories of priority harm that companies would have to address in their terms and conditions. So that's one to watch out for. And they did say at that point in December 2020 that the legislation would introduce further provisions to address disinformation and misinformation, referencing at that point the transparency requirements which appear in the bill and also the establishment of an expert working group targeted at building and understanding and driving action to tackle these issues. So now we have the bill, we can see that it has delivered um, in terms of the establishment of that working group. The bill does require Ofcom to create an advisory committee on disinformation and misinformation as promised. And the committee's function, as far as we know, is going to be to provide advice to Ofcom about how providers of regulated services should deal with misinformation. In practice, generally, we would probably expect the issues that have already been identified and talked about as current risks to be the focus. So, as you mentioned, Lizzie, misinformation about the pandemic, about the vaccinations and other things, for example, like elections may be prioritised. The government has also highlighted disinformation and misinformation that presents a significant threat to public safety, public health or national security will be key areas of focus. Yeah, as Amy said, I think it is going to be in practice, likely that Ofcom will be identifying the hot issues of the day or the month or the current trends and issuing guidance on that from time to time. And that's really going to inform how the companies address those issues without having to judge what should be falling under the category of misinformation themselves. Thank you. So it does seem that misinformation and disinformation is intended to be called, but precisely what that will look like and how it will work we don't yet know. Thinking practically, if I'm running a social media platform, Amy, what does this bill mean for me at the moment? 
I think it's probably fair to say that much of how this will all translate in practice is still very hazy. As you mentioned, much will depend on the codes Ofcom is due to produce. And those codes, as far as we know at the moment, will contain recommended steps that will need to be taken in relation to the duties under the bill. So um, they really are key in, in knowing the nitty gritty of what's set out. But it might help if we just look briefly at the duties that are imposed in particular in relation to regulated user-to-user services in respect of illegal content, because that is obviously the most wide-ranging and the the thing that's going to capture most social media platforms. What we do know from the bill is that there are various duties. They will include an illegal content risk assessment duty, whereby platforms will need to identify, assess and understand things like their user base, the level of risk to users that may happen in terms of encountering things like terrorism content, child sexual abuse content and they will also need to assess the harm that could be caused as part of that risk assessment duty. There's a duty to make and keep a written record of those risk assessments that social media platforms will carry out. Importantly there is a safety duty in relation to legal content and that is the the big one. There platforms will be required to take proportionate steps to mitigate and effectively manage the risk of harm caused by illegal content. And additionally, they will need to use proportionate systems and processes to minimise the presence of certain priority illegal content, which is yet to be defined, and swiftly remove that content when they're on notice. And that's really the, the key thing that we'll be focused on. There's also a duty, again, which is important and has been a focus of much discussion for platforms to have regard to the importance of protecting users' rights to freedom of expression and from unwanted or unwarranted infringements on privacy when they're implementing their safety policies and procedures. There's also a duty to operate systems and processes which allow users to easily report illegal and other harmful content and operate a complaints procedure that allows complaints to be made that's easy to access and that provides for appropriate action to be taken. So there, broadly speaking, are the duties that we know will exist in relation to illegal content for user-to-user services. And broadly speaking, there are similar duties that also apply to search services, although they are tweaked in certain respects given the differing nature of user-to-user versus search. In practice, I think that all of these duties will probably mean that there's increased moderation necessary. There will need to be clearer reporting options for users and quicker turnaround times for complaints and hopefully also more effective resolution of, of some of those complaints. What that really means for platforms will probably vary depending on the nature of of their business and what they're offering, but it may mean hiring more staff or investing in automated tools. For some smaller or businesses or businesses where, you know, user generated content only actually forms a very, very small part of what they're offering, they may consider just removing or pre-moderating any of that material as an easier way to, to tackle their duties. In terms of other things that are going to be imposed, just a flag, there is also reporting duties. Um, The government is introducing targeted reporting requirements. And as it said, that it expects companies to report terrorist content to law enforcement where there is a threat to life or a risk of imminent attack. And it said it's also minded to introduce a requirement for companies to report child sexual exploitation and, and things like that. 
Also, just to flag the largest platforms, that's the category one companies will have additional obligations. They will have duties to protect content, for example, of democratic importance and duties to protect journalistic content. And they'll also have to complete regular risk assessments to identify legal but harmful material on their services. So it's that step beyond illegal content and take steps to mitigate those risks. There are several things that are not included. So the bill isn't intended to apply to news publisher content from a recognised news publisher. Email services, voice calls and text messages aren't included, although, as Hugo mentioned earlier, instant messaging services do fall within scope. And things like customer reviews of products and services, advertising, online services managed by it educational institutions, they're all, all not included. So that kind of gives you like a general overview of the types of things that companies will need to be doing. And as we've said, a lot of the sort of precise steps that will be imposed on them depend largely on the code. So it is a little bit of a sort of a watch, watch this space at, at the moment. Thanks, Amy. And to finish off the episode, I just wanted to ask you a question about how the bill has been received generally and whether there's any particular areas where it's said that the bill doesn't go far enough or other observations or criticisms which are worth mentioning. Obviously, with such a hot topic like this, there has been quite a lot of heated commentary and there's a lot of responses to the bill. You need to Google um, online safety bill and it all comes up and you probably would be forgiven for thinking that it's been received relatively poorly when you see the material that's out there. I think it's probably important to say that tackling online harm and what the legislation is trying to do is really important and most people, regardless of their opinion, recognise that and that internet safety and regulation is necessary. And I think probably the majority of people also think that duty of care is the right way to go but as ever the devil will be in the detail. The government made various promises and claims when it announced the bill. They said such things that it was going to safeguard young people, clamp down on racist abuse, protect people from online romance scams and fake investment opportunities and usher in a new era of accountability and protections for democratic debate. They're all laudable aims, but I think the question is how will this all work in practice and what price might have to be paid? And as we've mentioned, the detail or lack of detail in the bill has been criticised on a number of fronts. So I think probably the loudest criticism has been in relation to the perceived potential impact on freedom of expression. And as you would expect, there are several rights bodies that have had quite a say and have been very vocal in objecting to the vague nature of the provisions, in particular, the restrictions on lawful but harmful content and how that will impact on freedom of expression and potentially curb freedom of expression. I think the fact that much of the balancing act between protecting individuals from harm and ensuring freedom of expression is left to the internet platforms is particularly problematic and that's certainly raised concern. And I expect that we'll see more commentary and more kind of vocal expression in relation to these issues as we go forward. As you mentioned, Lizzie, there are people who flag disappointment in relation to things that the bill does not address. And as you mentioned at the start, Department of Culture, Media and Sports Subcommittee has launched an inquiry into the government's approach and the online safety bill. And it says that it will investigate for example, how the focus has shifted since the introduction of the Green Paper back in 2017. 
and it will also explore key emissions. And I understand this includes concerns that the definition of harm is actually now too narrow and that certain things aren't addressed, such as non-state intervention in elections and other sort of particular harms like content that contributes to self-harm and a negative body image. Whilst they may fall loosely within general definitions, there's nothing really that specific in relation to those issues. It's also worth mentioning that the House of Lords Communications and Digital Committee, while supporting the bill, has also expressed various concerns about things which are missing. For example, and I think this is quite important, there is a concern that children may not be adequately protected from porn and other things that they shouldn't see on the internet, given that the bill will only apply to user-to-user platforms and search engines. And obviously you can see that there's real gap there in terms of where websites where just that material may be present, but they may not fall within to those specific types of platform. There has also been a number of concerns over whether Obcom, which is already subject to extensive obligations to regulate the media and telecom service, can effectively manage these new wide-ranging regulatory obligations that are provided for in the bill. I mean, we've talked a lot today just about what we can expect from Ofcom, what we can expect in the codes. And I don't think the the burden of that should go unrecognised. There's probably little point having a regulatory regime which looks and sounds the part, but which in practice can't deliver on its objectives because the regulator is simply overstretched. So I think the bill is likely to face strong attempts to amend it. There's probably quite a lot more work to be done. And quite rightly so, it needs to be robustly scrutinised to make sure that resulting legislation that we get does what is hoped on such an important issue. This is something that people want to tackle, want to address, that needs to be addressed. I think it just needs to be done properly and in the right way and just need to get a result that delivers on, on the aims. Thanks, Amy. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much, Amy and Hugo, for your time. We hope this episode has helped to demystify the online harms bill, although this is obviously not the end of the story for that bill. For further insights, do follow Harbottle Lewis on Twitter and LinkedIn and join us for our next episode in a night's time.